If you have an asset that is given to you and then you're able to hold on to that asset for a long period of time and it inflates in price, yes, that is a phenomenal investment. If somebody gives you shares of Coca-Cola seven decades ago, you're going to be all right. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Not quite the Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, but two all rights will do. Yeah, two, two all, all rights will do. So get this. I got some hate mail this week because last week when I was talking about the best defensive back in college football, I called him Travis Henry, who's yeah, a Travis former Hunter. NFL player instead of Travis yeah. Hunter. Apologies to to the peeps out there. Apologies to Travis Hunter. Can you More imagine, importantly than that, can you imagine Travis Hunter and Derrick Henry put together though? <laughs> it's a, that's a great football player. <laughs> like there's there's a lot going on those thighs. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So. Dougals, we talk investing on the show, and I want to dive right in. I told you I couldn't tell you this in the pre-show meeting. I have no quality investing ideas right now. Absolutely zero. There's nothing I look at and go, I would like to buy that right now. Mm, I get that. There are a few things that I have that I would like to buy, but I am not buying them. I think well, it's probably, not at this it's price. Probably, it's probably the same. It's probably the same thing. There's, uh, there's, there's. I mean, nothing... there's some things I'd like to buy. I'd like to buy like some new Nike kicks and uh, there's some companies I'd like to own, but I'm not buying anything at these prices. There's nothing that is smack in the face. Like if you go back to meta last year where it was, I know we brought this up before, but it was like, I actually don't want to buy this, but I have to. Like I, I felt like I had to. This is from my perspective. There's nothing close to that right now, which is a compelling smack over the face that doesn't mean it's going to turn out well but a smack over the face like this price is just un uh unforgivable if i if i don't get it there's nothing that's sitting there like that there's some tempting things but they're not there i hear you i've looked at kind of the the major players that their stock has fallen on tough times and there's three names off the top of my head there there's disney there's 3m and there's budweiser inbev yeah and yeah. I want to be intrigued because they're at multi-year lows and, um, you know, there's pessimism around and, and I just do the analysis and they either have too much debt or they don't have any revenue growth. The future prospects just seem anything but certain. Like, I just can't get excited about anything. It's tough. I know there are some things out there, but finding them is super hard right now. We talked about this before. But how this is a stock picker's market because it's onesie twosies that are sitting out there. Onesies and twosies. And onesies and twosies are super difficult <laughs> to play in, but I find it to be exciting to search around at least. I mean, I'd push back. I don't think it's a stock picker's market. I think if it's a stock picker's market, I'd be I'd have some tantalizing deals out there. I think this is a nothing market, which I ultimately goes to my point here. Uh, a lot of good investing, like 99% of it is sitting around and doing nothing. Oh, yeah. And that's where I'm stuck. Like, I i don't anticipate doing anything for at least six months, probably more like 18 months. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the place where you should always be, per what you just said. The there's not anticipating, not always. Most of the time, per your statement, should be sitting around and saying, I don't anticipate doing anything. And then there comes the juice. There comes the juice sometimes, but it's not right now. You're right, for the most part. We love your listener mail. Please go skippydoogles at gmail.com. Listener mail, hit us up. Questions, concerns, comments, anecdotes, recipe ideas. We take it all in the Skippy Doogles. Rate and review the podcast. Helps people to find us. We appreciate that. Speaking of not doing anything, I'm going to speak about doing something. There was this post that came out from Senor. I'm going to, because we multicultural around here. Senor Money Mustache. He actually goes by Mr. Money Mustache, but I like to I like to go with the Senor. There was this post called What to Do About These High Interest Rates. What to do about these high interest rates. The way I'd like to run this, instead of just going through and naming what he talks about, what I'd love to do with you, if you're down like a clown, is to run through the questions that he raises in here and us go through and answer them for ourselves. Doesn't mean we we can bring up what he brings up in the post too, because there's some real good stuff in there, but I'd love to run through the questions. Before we hop into questions, here's a line from this that I really enjoyed. That is kind of the whole, the, the point around the interest rate situation right now where we at. He says, interest rates are like a giant gas pedal that revs the engine of our economy. With the polished black dress shoe of Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell pressed upon it. Poetry, my friend. If someone says, why are interest rates important? That's your answer. That is your answer. Yeah, he's pushing the brakes a little bit right now. Which no, he just good. let it, he let us so, throw off the he let us foot off the gas. Uh, it's just a neutral. Right. We're in neutral, right and easy. I just I just have to say about this article post, whatever we call this. Uh, this is one of the best things I read probably this month. I love when you get a smart person that's not too deep in the finance world. Um, that actually understands things like the analogies in here are way better than the average junkie reading yep. Bloomberg because it's like real life examples, uh, common sense approach to supply and demand, all these other things. I thought this was really quality work. Um, so props, hat tip, senior money mustache. I'm going to lay out all the questions and then let's go back and, and chat them through. Here are the questions he raises. Is the stock market index funds, of course. Still the right place for my money? It's question one. Question two, what if I want to buy a house? Question three, what about my current house? Should I hang on to it forever because of the solid gold 3% mortgage I've locked in for the next 30 years? Question four, will interest rates keep going up? Question five, and will they ever go back down? Those are the five questions I'd love to talk through with you. Go on one by one. Cool with it? Yeah, you, you kick us off. So, Dougals, is the stock market the right place for my money? I'm going to give the same answer that he gives in here, except with different language. And that's basically, always, bro. <laughs> always. However, there's nuance. There's nuance to it. Because what, what I'd say is this. If you're saying, I just got a big windfall right? From an inheritance or whatever it might be. What do I do with that money? And the question is, is the stock market the place to put all of it? That's a, that's a different answer. 
then I'd say some, yeah, but let's let's talk about where you might want to put different parts of that money. But if the question is my money's in the stock market, which is, I think is was the kind of the interpretation here, my money's in the stock market, should I pull that out to go do something else? And the answer is like, nah, bruh. So I think that's the thing. But I would not, if you were doing a dollar cost average, like monthly or whatever the period is, or you're putting money in the stock market, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. That's my take here. What you got to say? Yeah, I agree. I think you have to buy based on valuation. So I want to be, I want to have 100% of my money sitting in the S&P or QQQ. And I certainly want to be contributing to that, but that's a personal choice I make. That his answer here is is better when he specifically addresses that question of what about the funds I currently have invested in the stock market? Yeah. Should I take them out? And he says, holy beep, no. Like, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. This is a long-term yeah. investing strategy. Things go crazy on either side. Just stick to your strategy. This is simple. Yeah. Don't rock the boat just because it feels a little different than it has been for the past decade. Just mm -hmm. continue with your long-term strategy. What if I want to buy a house? I, again, agree with every, I think everything he says here, which is crazy. I can't listen to Dave Ramsey talk for like three minutes without yelling at the, without yelling at my <laughs> earbuds, right? But <laughs> yeah, it, it depends. It's kind of complicated. It's not a no-brainer on the interest rate side like it used to be. But housing is housing. And housing isn't really an investment when you're looking at your primary residence. It's a place to live. So you should do some math on, hey, is it drastically cheaper to rent right now? In some places in America, it's like half the price to rent the exact same home as it would be to buy the thing. Well, it sucks for you. Maybe you always wanted to buy the thing, but right now you should probably rent if that's the case. If the flip side is, you know, if the equation presents itself in the opposite way, then make it happen and buy that thing if you can. And also understand though, I think what I love most about him here is he walks through the supply and demand to say, because interest rates have done this, it's often, it's frequently added like a thousand to $1,500 to a person's average mortgage payment. There's only one way to settle that equation unless incomes go up significantly. It's for interest rates to come down or housing prices to come down. So some people have to buy a house in the next three months. They're just stuck with it. And they're probably going to buy the bullet and pay more than they'd like. But over the longer term, the supply and demand equation has to settle in a way that it's not currently settled. So my answer here, and this is, this is the Dougal's answer. When it comes to housing as an investment, my answer is almost always no. This has very yeah. little to do with current interest rates. My answer is just nearly always no. If you have been a long-time listener of this program, or you go back and listen to some early episodes, you'll hear when I decided to buy my house with my family, not an investment, per what you were talking about, primary residence type stuff. But right now, I mean, you've got... Let's let's get out of, outside of housing for a second. You have an asset that you're thinking about buying that is at all-time highs from a price perspective mm -hmm. and is at over 7% from a borrowing perspective. That's not an opportunity. It's time. the least affordable time to buy a house in yeah. the history of these metrics. Yeah. Right? You just, it, it's not a good time to buy a house. You just, you just take that into account and then make your own decision. But almost never will I give the answer of yes, should you be buying a house? That's just my personal thing. 
Yeah, but at some point when the rubber hits the road, Dougal's like you and your family don't you're sick of living in that tent. <laughs> Yurt. And you Yurt. say it sucks to pay a <laughs> yeah, it sucks to pay a thousand bucks a more month than this thing is actually worth. But like this is the situation I'm in and I'm gonna buy that bulb. It's it just I don't like that it gets conflated with investing so much because in a lot of cases it's putting a roof over your head rather than investing. I know, but the thing that gets confused a lot of times, and I, I, this could go down a rabbit hole, so I'm just going to like have us look at the rabbit hole, acknowledge that the rabbit hole exists, and then we can move on. The thing that gets equally conflated, I think, is when you look historically, United States of America, you look historically and say, housing is where so many people have built their wealth. Mm -hmm. Yes. And... There were a couple periods in the history of this country where housing was effectively given away. If you have an asset that is given to you and then you're able to hold on to that asset for a long period of time and it inflates in price, yes, that is a phenomenal investment. If somebody gives you shares of Coca-Cola seven decades ago, you're going to be all right. As the old saying goes, Voltaire once said, yeah. if someone gives you shares of Coca-Cola seven decades ago, you're going to be all right. Voltaire. Next question. What about my current house? Should I hang on to it forever because of the solid gold 3% mortgage I've locked in for the next 30 years? It, I think that the, the 3% or sub 3% mortgage rate that folks have, especially sitting in an interest rate environment right now, which is what we're talking about here, forever is a tough word, but where we're sitting right now, it is difficult, I think, except from a peace of mind perspective, for someone to to take excess capital and put that toward the principal of the house as opposed to putting that money in other places, giving your sub 3% mortgage. So I would say where things sit right now outside of a peace of mind perspective, that your money should probably go somewhere else besides paying down your current mortgage. So the answer to this would be like, yeah, for the time being, sit in that house. There are a lot of nuances here, but that's what I'd say, yes. Yeah, I think this is kind of a stupid question, but it's not it's not something he said. It's the questions he get asked. He gets asked and I get asked the same questions. Yeah. I understand that. I mean, run the numbers, people. This isn't hard. And what's your life situation happening? Like, did you lose your job in Dallas and you have to move to Florida? Well, then you probably are going to sell your house. Yeah, you can likely in the very near future sell your house with an assumption loan where someone else can take advantage of your low interest rate which could completely change the game in terms of the value of your house so you should run the numbers uh, i don't know i just think this one's easy also this is one of those things where i'm going to say no offense but there's implicitly inf offense in it Love i feel it. bad for you if you have lost your job in dallas and have to move to florida that is just an unfortunate <laughs> starting point and ending point for you <laughs> You you didn't say that. We just <laughs> lost listeners in two of the biggest, two of the most populous states. I've had a lot of. I've actually had a lot of fun in both those places. But how can I not throw that out there? <laughs> Speaking of which, so I I saw this article this week that was uh, article <laughs> probably aggressive for this. I saw a something in the news that was about a Florida man. You know, there's always Florida man things that come out. Yeah, a, a Florida man that built a uh ocean bike out of balloons and was trying to ride this ocean bike out into the wild blue yonder 
right? This is a Love an it. innovative soul. And I think it was like the National Guard or something that had to go out and retrieve, like stop this man, to stop this man from doing what he wanted to do. And so I was texting with somebody about this and they said, why are we spending our tax dollars stopping this inventor from living his dream? And I was like, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about this from a tax dollar perspective, but if Florida man wants to build an ocean bike and ride into the wild blue yonder, especially after Florida man just lost his job and stopped being Dallas man, go for it, Florida man. All right. You, you didn't know you're going to get me on a soapbox here. So, you know, the, the handmade submarine to go explore the Titanic that blew up, unfortunately. I did not know it was handmade, but yes. Well, effectively, like it's a pipe with some. They yeah, were yeah, using yeah. a Xbox controller for this thing, Douglas. So, <laughs> okay. go ahead. I'm very sorry that lives are lost. Super unfortunate. But can you imagine there was the U.S. Navy, I believe, and maybe the U.S. Air Force too, um, and European like military operations searching for this thing for like three days. Can you imagine the millions of dollars yeah. that was spent? trying to find the submarine that's true it doesn't it doesn't seem to add up when we could write checks to like the <laughs> wildfire victims in hawaii in yep. a way that I seems more impactful but i hear you sorry soapbox uh, you're kicking off this All next right. one uh will interest rates keep going up i sure hope so but what he does in the right approach here is to look at a long set of historical data i'm talking multiple decades and really more like 60 to 100 years and say, where do we sit? We sit at about average for that time period. Where it's going is really tough to predict. I mean, basically impossible to predict. But just understand that what happened in the last decade is an abnormality more than where we sit today. So assuming it's going to go back to 3 or 2% or less is probably a poor assumption on your behalf. Yeah, historically. Absolutely right. I think you're right. Will they go up? We'll see. But since they are, we're like in a normal range of interest rates that I would hope, to your point, that interest rates stay somewhere around where they are for the foreseeable future. And to the, I'll, I'll drop a line that you, you were like, we can't just say that and go on, but I'm going to do it again. But I'm going to say it and then we can go on here is that I also think that for the future of democracy, we need to hold interest rates around where they are right now because free access to capital people start doing some dumb ish so let's put some constraints on people's ability so we get some innovation up in this mother okay all right you're, you're just poking the bear at this point so my <laughs> favorite my absolute favorite meme going around the internet right now is this guy pointing in a mirror and looking at himself you know this because i sent it to you yep and it says it wasn't a decade of levered beta. If you don't know what that term means, that means average market returns with leverage. So a lot of debt. And then it says, you really did identify the top growth markets and, and your amazing sales skills allowed you to purchase multifamily assets at 30% discounts to market. And the gray cabinets and the vinyl floors you put in do command a 40% rent premium. You are the next real estate genius. If, if people don't get the joke, what happened in the past decade is it was really cheap to borrow money. Real estate went straight up. And so almost anyone 
could have borrowed a bunch of money eight years ago, bought almost any rental property, made a really handsome return, and thought that they were a genius. What's happening now, and this is not just a real estate example, but that's the easiest one to go. What's happening is times have changed. Debt isn't cheap anymore. And some people are going, oh my goodness, I'm over levered and I'm in big trouble. Others are not. And, and I don't wish that on anyone. But this happens all the time, Dougals, where people can, they, they get caught in a macroeconomic headwind and they think they're a genius. And you look like more of a genius the more debt you take out until you go bankrupt. Yeah, precise lie. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this fully, fully in your camp here. I'm going to use this to just toe dip very quickly into this Wall Street Journal article that came out this week called Amateurs Pile Into 24-Hour Options. It's just gambling. Because there was one person that was highlighted in here, which after talking about his quote-unquote mistimed one-day options that cost him tens of thousands of dollars, the quote from him is, I'm just exceptionally great at it. This is the person <laughs> pointing at themselves in the mirror. All right, last question. And will they ever go back down? Will interest rates go back down? I think this is it's similar to the question before of what we were just gabbing about is we're around where historical interest rates have been in this country. They will likely go up and down, hopefully around this general place, if need be higher, if need be a bit lower. I personally hope that we do not go into a like vast multi-year decade long zero percent interest rate place again but they will go up and down because things go up and down yeah so the thing i love about mr money mustache is there's another piece of this article where he goes you might be stuck with the facts of the situation meaning um interest rates might go to 10 and you might uh lose your job and whatever else and if that happens here's how you do your kitchen remodel for uh, 2000 bucks instead of 20,000 bucks. You go by this sink and you go by this and you get a, you buy your own nail gun and you do all the work. Like that's how I think about this is you have to be flexible. You are in control of where things are going, but if you're determined to like keep thriving, there's ways to do it. You can do your peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead of, I don't know, like, you know what I'm saying? It's, Sometimes you're along for the ride, but you can make the best of it. And that's what I like about his approach here, uh, because he's not really trying to predict the future. He's just saying, this is where we sit today, and this is how you can thrive, regardless of where that goes. Loving it. Thank you, Mr. Money Mustache. What to do about these high interest rates is the name of that post. It'll be on the substack, skippydoogles.substack.com with the rest of the stuff we talk about here. What you got next? Quick hit on my end. Um, a paper by... Rich Channer, do investors focus too much on price-only returns? Mm -hmm. Dougals, if you go to six different brokerage houses and look at um, how they typically display um, stock returns, only two of them include total return data. For those who don't know, total return data would include the dividends that would be reinvested in those stocks. And if you look at nine different financial websites, None of them actually report total return data. And two of two of those nine don't even show dividend um, details. So a simple example here, if a stock pays a 5% dividend per year, 
you throw it into Google Finance and compare that stock's returns with something that doesn't pay a 5% dividend, you just look at percent return on the equity, the one that doesn't pay a dividend is at an inherent advantage because they didn't write a check to their investors for 5% of their total market cap. So if you don't look at total return data, you get an apples to oranges situation there where the non-dividend paying stocks almost always look better because you're not looking at the full picture. I just found this fascinating. I think, I think I'm aware of it. I typically, the large majority of my stocks pay a dividend. So I focus on total returns when I report my own performance and stuff. But it's fascinating how so much of the psyche for your naive investor just puts dividends to the side. And the, the example I'd give here is like, if you're looking, if you have two cups comparing two different stocks and you're pouring water into those cups, well, the cup that pays a dividend actually has like a mug off to the side of the, the liquid that falls into that dividend bucket. And that is completely hidden from analysis in a lot of these brokerage houses and websites. So I just think it's an important point. If you don't know, try and uh, compare total return data because it could be a game changer in your investing process. Ooh, you you had me until the end. <laughs> you had me to the end. end you had me to the end. Well done. Uh, I do believe if you're if you're looking at comparing the performance of two different stocks, then yes, look at total return data, especially if you would be someone that would reinvest dividends. However, personally, I would not want these places to show total return data instead of price data. Because when I'm looking at two different charts, I'm looking at the change in market cap of the companies. Like that that's what I'm looking at. Like what was the company valued at this point versus now? And that that's so if I was looking at total return, it would just throw it would throw off for me, it would throw something off. I would rather have the data that then I can calculate the total return, which I know is probably not the the way that your average investor would look at it, but I'd rather have the raw data. Yeah, but Dougal's thing, your investing process, and this is actually a great conversation for you because um, your long-term trend, like momentum investing style, is based on stock price, aka market cap, right? No, it, it, well, it includes so, dividends. No, it's based on total returns. It is? Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying when um, I go to Yahoo Finance and I'm looking at a, like a price chart, I would not want that to be total return. I want that to be the price chart. Yeah, and I I don't know that the default matters as much. I I think I would argue that the default should be total return because it's more Ooh. of an apples to apples comparison. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just important that that information is available and it's clear yeah. that you you know what you're looking at. Um, Agreed. Like there there being a like a checkbox where you could say like total return or price only would be very beneficial. Because when you get to the point, if you go to Yahoo Finance, Google Finance, whatever, and you start putting in different stocks to compare their charts next to each other, then that becomes an apples to oranges situation per what you were talking about. But if I'm yeah. looking at one stock's chart, like if I'm just looking at one stock, I would rather it be price only to start. That's me. That's sure. just me. But no, it's an important I, paper. I'm just saying what, what you, you're letting how a company's CFO and board basically think about their capital allocation uh you're letting that impact because that that clearly impacts their market capitalization and then if you make decisions on the trends in their market capitalization 
those trends could be different. They would be different if they didn't pay a dividend. So yeah, anyway, it's yeah. fun to hear your thoughts on it. I, yeah, I just it, think it's a valid point. It's a point that most people don't think about. Absolutely. And so, and you should, and you should know the difference. I, I agree with that. And it's bewildering. We've, we've touched on this here before too, because it is bewildering when you look at the difference between a price only and dividends reinvested, even looking at the market overall. The differences are staggering. Like if you take dividends out of the S&P 500 and look at its return, very different than if you just look at very its price. Different. Yeah. Especially over the course of like 30 years. Yeah. It's just massive. Yeah. Compound and play. All right. There is this, there's this post. It's about flirting with models that was put up by Newfound Research. And there were 16 or 17 different I'd say like uh, mental models or uh, findings that were highlighted here uh, in this post. I'm just going to highlight a couple of them that I thought were interesting. I want to talk about them with you. One is it's usually the unintended bets that blow you up. I think this is good from an investing standpoint and also something in life. We've touched on this with different language in the past where what we've said is some version of, well, what are you really investing in or what decision are you really making? when you make a choice. And so when this talks about unintended bets, that's what it means. So an example they bring up is they said for a number of years now, folks have come out and stated that European equities are at a cheaper valuation than US equities. Said So if investors say, great, you're in the United States, US investor says, I'm going to go and pile in to European equities. The other bet that you're making is about currency fluctuations as an example, right? You've, you've stated that on here in the past. And it's just saying, make sure that you understand the bets that you're making because the unintended bets are often what ends up blowing you up. I think in life and investing, it's an important concept. Completely agree. I mean, so I learned that investing in the Greece stock market in like 2012. <laughs> it's, a, it's a painful lesson to learn your first time around. It, I don't want to get stuck in the weeds there but i would argue even with the currency risk it's important to be invested in international markets right now but that's a whole different yeah. rabbit hole to drop down so all right two others here under strong uncertainty halvesies technical term <laughs> halvesies can be an optimal decision what he's saying here is when when there's a good amount of uncertainty and there's a decision to make uh Sometimes like dollar cost averaging is the way to come in. Like we've discussed that when we were talking about commercial real estate, even toward the end of last year, like commercial real estate starting to look pretty shabby, but is this the bottom? Is this the middle? Nobody knows if there's uncertainty. Sometimes just saying, if you're going to get into a thing, just start going slowly and take a slow approach can be an optimal decision. I think that's a good mental model, whether or not the decision ends up being the same. You go ahead. Yeah, I love this. I use this all the time in all aspects of life. You uh, sign a new client and get a good pay raise and you're like, ooh, I'm feeling rich. Don't go spend all the <laughs> extra money. Spend half of it. You know, yeah. like it um yeah, the meta's trading at eighty-eight bucks a share and it looks super cheap. Well, there's no there's no guarantee it's going to three hundred. If you if there's uncertainty, especially strong uncertainty. Yeah, if you have X amount earmarked for it and you're not 100% on board and 100% comfortable with it, do half of X. Like, yep. it's 
it's so good i think it's like just to control the human emotions like the wave of human emotions from highs and lows to be like okay i'll do if i'm not 100 confident i'll do half of what i was thinking yep. and it it saves you money man or makes you money depending on how you think about it yeah agreed last one behavioral time is decades longer than statistical time this is another one that we've talked we talked about here a bunch what he's saying is that when you put something down on paper they go into back testing here which i'll touch on in a moment but when you put something down on paper you create a spreadsheet you say oh that's wonderful right my spreadsheet has 50 columns each one's just a column but that column might be a year right in real life and behavioral time that year you have to live minute by minute hour by hour day by day and it's a lot harder behaviorally to live through that time than to just see like one moment in time that's a year the reason they bring up back testing because they said you can create this back test and be like yeah i ran this back test over 50 years and sure during this four-year period like it didn't work but like that's just a four-year period over 50 years obviously it's gonna be great but if you're living in those four years and those four years are you holding on to this stock that is going down five percent a week that is super hard to do and feels a lot longer than what it looked like on the spreadsheet. So Diggles, if you were investing your funds with a professional investor and they underperformed over a five-year period by 100% to the S&P, uh, you think you could stick with your choice? It's hard because i that's not a thing I would do. Uh, well, but yes, actually, I think the answer is yes. Just, for run, me, just run with me. Yeah, for me personally, the answer is yes. Because, because for me to get to the point where I was investing with that person, it would be a long-term, like the reason I was investing with them is because of their philosophy over long-term. It would take a lot, like the hurdle for me to get my money to them would be so big that the answer would probably be yes. Okay. For me, um, I think I'd say the answer was yes. And then on year four, I would absolutely sell. But if that's your answer to that question, uh, you can't invest with... Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, because from 1995 to 1999, he underperformed the S&P by over 100%. So there you go. It's the, the greatest investor of all time, man. And what was happening in 95 to 99? <laughs> Everything was blowing were up. disconnected from reality. Right? Blowing up. And he was not disconnected from reality. And so his stuff was more fairly valued. It. This is a really good point. The, and this is maybe there's so many problems with backtest but this is one of the greatest ones like you said it's two lines in your spreadsheet and you, you look at a 50-year return chart and you're like oh i don't care about two or three years but living through two or three years <laughs> totally sucks yeah. minute by minute man <laughs> yeah minute by minute there's a robert frost quote that i came upon recently that i just really love because it sums up uh, the concept that you were just touching on there with uh, being connected or disconnected from reality, like so well, it's most of the change we think we see in life is due to truths being in and out of favor. I love oh. that. Love that quote. Most of the change we think we see in life is due to truths being in and out of favor. Love it. That's good stuff. Uh, that's Corey Hofstein at Newfound. We mentioned him last week as well with the return to stacking stuff. So thanks for bringing that up, Diggles. I want to laugh at startup pitches for a second. No offense, Dougals. So put me in my place. If uh, uh, Starlink, which is one of 
Star Starlink technically a part of SpaceX or are they just like sister companies? I don't know. I think it's know. a product of head. space. I think it's a SpaceX product. Yeah. Okay. So SpaceX product where you can get internet anywhere in the world. Really awesome technology. One of the ways that like the forces in Ukraine are fighting the war because they have some Starlink stuff. And the scary part is Musk can kind of turn off, turn on and off internet anywhere in the world at any time, which is a whole different thing. But they gave their investor presentations back in 2015. So we're going to say this is eight years ago. And here's what they projected their revenue would be in 2022, Dougals, about $12 billion. Their actual revenue is super impressive. Um, and I'm only looking at the chart. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's like $2 billion. Super impressive. Amazing product, good reviews. Uh, amazing feat of human ingenuity and intelligence. And they're still off by like a factor of 10 <laughs> on the random spreadsheet that they made to raise money for this thing. This happens all the time. And most of the time, that 12 billion revenue projection is actually zero eight or nine years later. That's the startup game. But it, this just makes me chuckle, man. I think they did so many things right and they're still nowhere near what they where they claim they would be i'm gonna parlay this into something i'm gonna react to that and then is it cool if i parlay or do you want to is this more to, that you want to hit on there no absolutely go ahead okay so my reaction to that is so you're absolutely right if if you are getting a pitch at the beginning of an organization's life or close to early in its life the only thing that you know is that that pitch is wrong that's the only thing that you know but it has to be such that even if it's wrong it can still be great Mm -hmm. is is where the uh, is where you need to play because many times when you have like if uh if starlink was in a place where you said if you don't get to 12 billion like everything has to go right for you to 12 billion if you don't get to 12 billion then it's zero that's where it becomes more problematic but i agree it is it is funny because the only thing that you know is that it's wrong i think i've brought this up to you before but there was one point in a prior it was a few startups ago I, uh, I was building, I built the financial model for the company and I was talking to one of the investors and he goes, he's like, what's going on here? I, granted, I've made this whole thing up, right? I mean, effectively, it's just, it's a model. <laughs> and he's like, he goes, what, what is happening here? And I was like, oh, what, like, what do you think's wrong? Is it? He goes, well, the, the number's just not high enough. And I go, oh, okay, well, let me go. So then I, I go and I go back to my desk and I just like randomly change one of the numbers. He goes, perfect. Now this is right. I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> I thought that there might be some logic behind it. No. Okay. So. Well, no, hold on uh, real quick on that. I mean, I don't get startup pitches much, but when I do, I'm terrible about all the projections because I, I have all these same talking points, but I typically see three to five years. If someone gave me, they had projections out 10 years that in 2025, they thought they were going to be doing $32 billion. If someone gave me a 10 year projection on this thing, I'm just <laughs> ripping that up and like throwing it out the nearest window, man. It because yeah, 10 months years is totally made up. 10 months, you don't it, know. It, 10 months, yeah. 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 10 years, get out of here with that hogwash. <laughs> so, what I'm going to parlay this into is there's this tweet from Simone Stolzoff. Sorry if I get your name pronunciation wrong there. The tweet is something I'm realizing living in Barcelona. Part of the reason the U.S. is so money slash work obsessed is that your quality of life is so dependent on how much money you make. Here, with universal health care, quality public education, 
the baseline quality of life is just so much higher. Boom. The reason I see this as a parlay is because I read this and I was like, yeah, that makes sense, right? It's kind of like the difference to me in saying that these people are so obsessed with like equity and stocks. Yep. And it's probably because like you can't just have this safe investment where you make three and a half percent all the time. Go, yeah, that's not America. Like the the part of the what's behind this, I agree with this point. And it's a it is like a question of a fundamental philosophy and like belief is that in this country, a thing can go to zero or it can go to infinity. And like, that is what we chase. It's like what the country is kind of built off of. And so to your point around Starlink, what we do is we go, yeah, we're not going to accept a guaranteed like steady rate for a long time because we chase upside to the utmost, even when it punches us in the face. So it's not a right or wrong here. I read this and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. We trade the baseline quality of life, whether it's the right or wrong trade, I'm not even making a judgment on. But as a country, we trade that baseline for upside. I think that's right. I like this tweet a lot. And I don't know that there's like a, a right answer here. Um, yeah. But probably in Spain, I haven't lived in Spain. Probably if you walk in with a 10-year projection that says I'm going to make $30 billion <laughs> in a decade, it's probably harder to get funding for that. Um <laughs> I, I mean, I just wonder if the pendulum has swung a little too far in one direction, you know, because it'd be nice if there was some of that quality of life stuff was a little more, there was a little greater safety net than there is at certain spots in the U.S. But uh, that's, I hear that as a positive about the U.S. all the time in terms of like, there is this uh, mindset that you can go accomplish whatever you want to accomplish different different strokes different folks but it's a it's a good yeah. tweet it's very steep no i i love this tweet and i was like huh maybe i should move to spain that sounds pretty sweet <laughs> <laughs> uh all right is that it yeah we already mentioned uh reviews share the show with a friend when you get a chance um enjoy your college football this weekend and we will talk to you next week potentially on the road we're, we're gonna get things figured out but we might have a special episode for you next week thank you <laughs>